Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, introducing your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, I am a huge fan of our guest today and as many of our listeners are because he never ceases to be on the cutting edge of all things biohacking and health related and then sharing this information with the world and I'm talking about Dave Asprey, the founder of Bulletproof and author of the New York Times bestseller, The Bulletproof Diet. Dave has spent the last two decades and over $300,000 hacking his own biology along with spending time with world-renowned scientists and doctors, etc., He's the creator of the wildly popular Bulletproof Coffee, host of the number one health podcast, Bulletproof Radio, and today we're going to get together to discuss his newest book called Headstrong, The Bulletproof Plan to Activate Untapped Brain Energy to Work Smarter and Think Faster in Just Two Weeks. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm so glad. Um, What I really like is this manual of information as it relates to mitochondrial function in the body and brain. And a lot of people don't think about, know about, understand mitochondrial. And as you've mentioned before, when we've talked in the past, I've had major mitochondrial dysfunction. And I just think it's something so unique and interesting. It's a little tangential part of this world people aren't tapping into. I'm so glad your book is, has that huge theme and there's so many sub themes within there and we'll get into it. But can you explain to everyone off the bat, just what that is before we get into the details of how it relates to everything that you've brought in this book. Uh, sure. We look at, at mitochondria as like little sub parts of a cell that a lot of people heard about in high school biology. And then if you look at popular texts, we call them the, the power plants of the cell, which is true to a certain point, but they're also the batteries of our body. If we were plants, we wouldn't really need batteries. We'd be stuck in the soil and you basically get energy from the sun and from the soil and you're in a constant circuit. But because we we move around all the time, we need to be able to turn food into energy and our mitochondria basically make the energy and to some extent store the energy. It turns out that 48% of people under age 40 have early onset mitochondrial dysfunction. And this is kind of like your, your iPhone. When it's new, you charge it up and it runs all day long. And the more you charge it, the less effectively it holds a charge. And everyone over age 40 has mitochondrial deficiency, and we call that aging. This is a process that we understand, at least to a certain extent now. There's, there's still mysteries in the mitochondria, but it's a hackable process. And the whole point of Headstrong is that when you make your mitochondria work better, you feel it in your head first because that's what part of your body has the most mitochondria. It's your head, your heart, and your eyes. So let's get more energy in your head. You'll have more willpower, and then you can use that to do whatever you want to do. Yeah, and let's. And since you mentioned, you know, the the brain and mitochondria, and you know, related to thyroid, and I know you're big on that too. You know, that has an absolute effect on that. And there's more T3 receptors in the brain, so I'm I'm not surprised this is all connected here. But let's talk about 
brain weakness with mitochondria and like the sugar and and how that relates to it because so obviously this is hackable we can keep it and strengthen it let's talk about how is it weakened what do we do that weakens it i mean obviously i know a lot of our audiences are like okay some classic answers like not getting enough sleep and all of that but what are you go through all the specifics in your book but name a couple ones that some people might not even think could potentially weaken them it's surprising, but you got to look at the nature of what a mitochondria really is. Mitochondria started out as bacteria. And the story that we tell ourselves is that a couple billion years ago, there were these free-floating little red bacteria, and they were harnessed by our cells that had this big fancy nuclear DNA, and then our cells used them for energy. That is one point of view. The more accurate point of view is that these little bacteria were floating around and they saw a cell and they're like, that looks like an amazing Petri dish. Let's invade it and take it over. <laughs> so uh, what we have going on today is we have a quadrillion bacteria inside our cells, way more than the number of bacteria in our guts. And these bacteria are calling the shots on a second by second basis. We talk about epigenetics and you talk about this a lot in your show. Epigenetics is the study of how the environment changes your genetic expression. What we didn't understand until recently is that the mitochondria are the gateway to epigenetics. These are the things that decide if a cell lives or a cell dies. These are the things that make pregnenolone, the, the precursor, we call it the mother hormone, that's a precursor to DHEA and to testosterone and estrogen and progesterone and all the other sex hormones. These are the things that decide if you'll get cancer or decide if you'll be strong. They decide how much energy you'll have. They're sensitive to your stress levels, like you mentioned. But one thing that, that people haven't connected is that they're still, to a large part, they're still bacteria. And they can be made weak by things that kill bacteria. So something like an antibiotic, many antibiotics and tons of prescription medications cause mitochondrial damage or weakness. Uh, that's something that, that you wouldn't think about. But it's not just these man-made chemicals that do that. Mother Nature makes mitochondrial inhibitors that are all over the place. The number one source of mitochondrial weakness made by Mother Nature is actually from the fungal family. It, it's mold. It's mold in your environment and even mold in your food. It inhibits mitochondrial respiration in a way kind of similar to what a cyanide or hydrogen sulfide gas can do, uh, where these things get in the way. And what's supposed to happen is that food comes in and it comes in in the form of sugar or in the form of fat, really, at the top of the, the, Krebs, the Krebs cycle. This is the cycle that makes energy inside, your, uh, inside each of your cells. And if you're taking a mitochondrial uh, inhibitor or something that damages the mitochondria, instead of these electrons from food flowing through into your electron transport chain and then being used to make a nervous system impulse or to cause a muscle to fire so that you can walk or breathe or have your heartbeat, instead what happens is the high-energy electron leaks out because you were exposed to this chemical in, dare I say it, in your moldy coffee or in a breath you took in a moldy building or in, in many of the other, uh, these other chemical environments, organic, organic solvents can do this similar things. Whatever this is, that high-energy electron, instead of going into the system to be used, it leaks out in the cell and creates free radicals. And then those free radicals cause damage. Like leaky brain, right? It's kind of like leaky brain, I guess, then, a little bit. It is kind of like leaky brain. It's like leaky battery in your brain. Right. And 
anytime you have inflammation going on, you have this leakage in your mitochondria. And the sad thing is that most of us don't have perfectly functioning mitochondria. In fact, most of us are far from that. The more you're exposed to these unnatural blue lights, uh, these LED lights that are, uh, are almost omnipresent, they're in all of our screens, and so many people have replaced their high-quality halogen and incandescent bulbs with these crappy LED lights, they cause mitochondrial damage. And here's the really cool thing. It, when you look at these mitochondria as a set of, of bacteria that are interdependent on each other, we know that those bacteria in your body, they talk to each other but we're not entirely sure how. We also know that mitochondria, and even your DNA, but especially your mitochondria, are exquisitely sensitive to light. They are listening to light as much as they're listening to whether you're taking breaths or not and how much oxygen you have. Uh, you can upregulate them or downregulate them based on the, the type of light that hits your eyes or your skin, uh, very specifically your eyes, though, for what goes into the brain. What we what we're realizing now is that they make light that's called biophotons and they receive light. So one of the working theories and one that I ascribe to is that these mitochondria actually can talk to each other. And one of the ways they keep your system organized and they know how many other mitochondria are doing well is they can do this with light. But in order to do that, an analysis of signal intensity shows that they can only do that if you get access to darkness. So one of the things that improves your mitochondrial function is sleeping in a pitch black room. If you have just a little bit of light in there, it overwhelms your mitochondria's ability to communicate with each other, assuming that this is one of those mechanisms, which is, I think, a fair assumption. Uh, it also ruins your sleep quality anyway. Anytime you feel like you're going to die, the mitochondria change their energy uh, posture. They go into When you go into fight or flight mode, they go into, let's get ready for sugar. Let's free up energy. Let's get ready to run. And Anytime you're out of your fight or flight mode, they say, okay, there's now excessive energy here. What do I do with it? Oh, let's make chemicals that are useful. Uh, let's make hormones. Let's go into rest and repair mode. So this whole conversation we have about you know, hypoglycemia causing a blood sugar crash, which causes an increase in, in cortisol, and it causes this, this anxiety thing. Anytime you're feeling anxiety, your mitochondria change what they're doing. Your job is to be in the, the peaceful zone so they can do their repair and energy management stuff most effectively. Yeah. And you, uh, I, I laughed when you threw out the, uh, one of the symptoms as well. Moodiness, anger is, uh, the highly active middle finger. Got to look out for that. <laughs> <laughs> Got to look out for that one. It's um, like CrossFit for your middle finger when you have a glycemia. Um, no, this is really interesting. So let's talk about if you're eating way too much sugar, I mean, obviously, and if people aren't aware, obviously we talk about in this show, the bulletproof diet, this way of being is really changing over and feeling yourself on fat versus glucose. And so this absolutely weakens the mitochondria. And can you go into that process? You already discussed a little bit of it in terms of um, the fight or flight. So it seems also that so if you're always in a stressful state as well, then the mitochondria in, in those moments are going to be wanting to grab for glucose from your stores perhaps versus versus fat as well, so that even the state of mind uh, can inhibit how the mitochondrial may or may not act or what it, its preferences at the time. Is that a fair kind of comment or am I off base? It's a fair comment. And we can, we can uh, fill in the details around that. If you just look at it, if you're a single bacteria floating in the ocean, like these things used to be, there's really only three things that you have to do to stay alive. 
Uh, one of them is run away from or kill uh, competitors, right? So anything that might eat you or, or might be scary, you know, make some chemicals to poison it or find a way to get away from it. So this is like a basic algorithm for any life farm, even a single cell life farm. The, the second thing you'd have to do is eat everything. That way you don't starve to death. Pretty straightforward. And this is obviously we all do that now. Like, oh, look, ice cream, I'll have another scoop. And then the final thing you have to do is you have to reproduce. And I would just say every behavior that all of us has that, that we're, we've ever been ashamed of comes from one of those three behaviors. But when I say mitochondria are calling the shots, your unconscious behaviors, the ones you don't like, are coming from bacteria that took over your cells and provide huge value in, in exchange. But you are behaving like a bacteria when you're like, I just ate all of the Cheetos. Uh, you know, I, I yelled at someone I didn't like, and then I had sex with someone I shouldn't have had sex with. There you go. Like you're a complete bacteria, right? <laughs> I'm laughing, thinking that all stemmed from just the bag of Cheetos, like the guy who uh, did the Twinkie defense. Uh, that's exactly uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> the Cheeto defense, like, oh my God, what? nightmare. If, if you think of what, what would have happened in that Cheeto defense thing, okay, you're getting MSG, which causes a brief period of, of high blood sugar, and then you get hypoglycemia from MSG. I would use it as an excuse in court. Absolutely, uh, MSG certainly makes makes my middle finger more active. It, it's a terrible chemical. Yeah, and it, it's horrible. What happens in in people, especially people with with existing chronic stress, and chronic stress isn't a, it's just something that happens. And stress can be too much exercise, people dying in your family, you hating yourself. It doesn't matter. Like, like stress is stress. Uh, having a cold, it, it all adds up. And from a cellular level, it doesn't really differentiate that much. It'll differentiate if you're taking stress caused by toxins that harm energy production. But hunger is a stressor because those three behaviors, oh my God, if I don't eat soon, the species will die. That's the, the bacterial mitochondrial view of things. You know as a human being that you can go a whole month without eating and it's going to be okay. But until you kick over into ketosis or take some exogenous ketones in the form of brain octane oil, uh, you would, uh, you're, you're going to feel like you're going to die. So what happens in a lot of people who are eating a lot of sugar is their mitochondria exist almost purely on sugar. And sugar makes more free radicals than fat when you burn it in your mitochondria, and it contains less energy. That's why we say sugar has less calories per gram. That's a bad thing. You want to burn high-energy fuel that has less waste, and that's what fat does. So if you're burning sugar all the time, you're making more free radicals and Unfortunately, you're likely to get hypoglycemia because your blood sugar swings more regularly when you have a carbohydrate-centric diet. Every time your blood sugar crashes, this little mitochondria go, we're going to die. There's not enough food. I'm supposed to eat everything. So now you get the stress, I'm going to die. And the technical term for that stress is hypoglybitchy or hangry. <laughs> yeah. What about what about muscle wasting along with that too, though, right? Uh, muscle wasting happens too. And we've shown a few studies have just come out about ketosis and, and uh, muscle, uh, muscle maintenance. After you're keto adapted, you can maintain muscle. But I'll, I will say it's easier to add muscle and to maintain muscle if you eat some carbs, but not too many carbs. Your mitochondria can subsist on just ketones forever. I don't believe that's necessary. And I, I've been in full-on ketosis for months on end. Uh, in fact, I got leaky gut from doing that because I couldn't manufacture enough, uh, enough mucus, which is made out of carbs, to properly line my gut. So I ended up getting some food allergies. Well, and I like your opinion on that in the book. You're like, hey, it, it prolonged state of time. I mean, some people might be able to manage it. But at the end of the day, I also like the idea that 
there would be cycles, right? There would be some cycles. Um, Especially in summer. Like it would be normal when you're getting a ton of sunshine and sunshine is a mitochondrial nutrient. They can actually handle carbs better because they're getting this extra energy from the sun. Uh, so the, the, the paleoprimal seasonal eating thing is really well supported by mitochondrial research. And, and also like it's okay to experiment with what works. If you never have any ketones present, your brain will not work the way it could work. And this is, this is just a fact. Your brain generally runs either on glucose because you're out of ketosis or on ketones when you're in ketosis. That's our biological reality. When you're doing what's in Headstrong or you're doing uh, the Bulletproof Diet, brain octane raises ketones four or more times more than coconut oil. Yeah, I read that in your book. And also, thankfully, I do have a bottle of that. <laughs> oh, nice. And it's it's not exactly like a paleo thing because cavemen couldn't distill coconut oil down to 6% of what's in there. And it is a cheat because we didn't evolve to have our brain, our, our glial cells can eat one type of fuel and our neurons like the other kind of fuel. So if you could possibly find a way to get ketones and a little bit of glucose present at the same time in the brain, now you're burning two kinds of fuel instead of one. Like that's totally not something that we necessarily evolved to do and not something our ancestors did. They would just fast for a few days and then go into this nice ketosis state of mental clarity. Uh, what I'm finding though is that when we cycle in and out of ketosis, uh, you, especially with some exogenous uh, brain octane, it it produces this state of like, wow, I don't care about food right now. And because I stopped caring about food, my stress levels went down because one of those three bacterial fears just went away. And, and when it's gone, then you're sort of free. Like all that willpower comes back and you can use it uh, you know, to, to go exercise or you know, to have a hard conversation at work or just to do whatever you, know, whatever you wanted to do that wasn't think about food. You know, now that you just brought that little nuance up about the two fuels, even sometimes at the same time, you mentioned a little little hack on sleep that I thought was interesting. Can you talk about the the honey and the fat, like the whole thing in the evening with the um, oil? Yeah, because I thought that was really interesting. And I was like, you know what? I mean, I sleep well, but I kind of want to try that. And so we all know uh, from listening to your show, look, honey is sugar, right? Raw honey is better than you know, processed, genetically modified glyphosate-soaked uh, corn syrup or something. But at the end of the day, it's still a carb and it still does what carbs do. But a little known fact about raw honey is that if you don't put it in your hot tea, at which point it becomes cooked honey, that's what hot does. It always drives me nuts. Uh, but anyway, if you take it at room temperature, it preferentially makes liver glucose. About 22% more glucose will go to the liver, sorry, liver glycogen, not glucose. And then your liver glycogen will preferentially fuel the brain instead of going to muscle glycogen. So even if you're in a state of ketosis, if you have a nominal amount of this, it may knock you out, it may not. But for people with sleep problems, uh, one teaspoon, two teaspoons, maybe sometimes even three teaspoons of raw honey before bed will increase glucose uh, storage, uh, glycogen in the liver, enough that the 3 a.m. wake up that happens when your mitochondria run out of energy. They're like, I have no more uh, blood glucose here. I'm not done with my work. I'm starving, therefore it's an emergency, therefore here's some cortisol. Oh, look, cortisol raises blood sugar. Look, there I got some blood sugar. Okay, there you go, now everything is good, except now you're laying in bed at three in the morning or four in the morning, and you have a bunch of cortisol, which is your wake-up hormone, and your night's sleep is ruined. So this little bit of honey can help, and if you take it with your brain octane, which raises ketones at the same time, now your brain's like, all right, 
I've got this. I've got the glucose I wanted. I've got the ketones I wanted. Now I can run through my nightly repair process, my, my brainwashing process, uh, which is through the glymphatic system where you, you swap out your cerebral spinal fluid. You kind of wash away the, the toxins that build up during the day as your brain is active. You can make that happen better when you have enough fuel and then you don't wake up with a cortisol surge at three or four in the morning. And end result is the next day, you're less tired and less stressed. So your mitochondria are happier and you actually build a more resilient system. Yeah, I like that you mentioned I was going to bring up that overnight brainwash. Um, I don't know if, I think you also interviewed him as well, but Dr. Brant Courtright, who wrote the Neurogenesis Diet and Lifestyle, and he talks about when I talked to him, he, we had, he said, you know, you ever feel like you didn't get enough sleep and then you, you, know, you wake up and you shower, but you still feel kind of like dirty? And I'm like, yeah, I hate that. That's like kind of ruins the whole day. You feel groggy, but there's that sense and internal dirtiness. And he's like, it's because you, your brain didn't have time to detox and do its thing. And so I love that you go through as well, like the details behind how that works and how important that is. And I like this hacking sleep with the the honey and brain octane. Um, I'm definitely going to try that. I want to um, ask you about uh, these, these subjects, these words get thrown around ATP and mitochondria, um, especially when it comes to fat burning, or you'll see like L-carnitine and it'll be like increases, you know, ATP production, right? So obviously with lots of people really interested also, not just in, because when you're in a fat burning state, usually your brain is on fire in an awesome way, like you say in your book. And I, I say that all the time. I really feel like that. In fact, when I went to your Bulletproof conference and you guys were giving out the free Bulletproof coffees, like I had one and then was just on fire the whole day. Didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even, I was like eight o'clock and I was like, I'm not even hungry yet. Damn. Um, it's just really great. But talk about the fat burning part of it, because I know a lot of our audience, you know, is obviously curious about that. I think it's important to know because that would motivate a lot more people to follow all the steps in your book to strengthen and really think about this on a cellular level instead of just a, um, you know, calories in, calories out or macros. When you really peel away the layers of the onion, the the idea that calories are all the same becomes absurd <laughs> uh, when, when you look at, at mitochondria, because ketones are are anti-inflammatory they're actually antioxidant and i've interviewed uh, some of the, the top ketone researchers out there dominic d'agostino has been on bulletproof radio like three four years ago and uh, dr veach who studied with hans krebs who the krebs cycle is named after and the, the general consensus is that if you're never in ketosis you're missing out and, and there's there's so much going on and atp is what we we sort of talk about and you have about 50 grams of, of ATP, give or take, in your body. And when the Krebs cycle works well, what happens is you, you turn this little cycle, and there's diagrams in the book. They're not too technical. I didn't even name all the steps because the real Krebs cycle is like a wall-sized poster of 10-point font. And it, it is incredibly complex the way the whole thing works. But when you, you simplify it, you have a, a, around seven or eight steps. And... Food comes in at the top, and you have just a little bit of ATP, and you throw off the P, which is a, a phosphate, and then you have ADP, which is adenoside diphosphate, and then if everything goes well, you recycle this by adding a P back to it. So this little 50 grams of ATP makes 600 pounds of ATP through recycling every single day. That means that if you're losing just a tiny bit of it, then your efficiency of the system goes down. And this is why there are products out there that have like straight ATP in them. And you're like, really, how could spraying a tiny bit of ATP matter? Well, 
it's because it gets amplified a lot. And what if we could prevent loss of some of the ATP that drains out of a, or leaks out of an inefficient mitochondrial process? And a lot of the, the recommendations in Headstrong around changing what you eat and using this strategic uh, uh, ketones that come from brain octane, not just from a ketogenic diet. I'm, I'm happy if you go into a ketogenic diet. I just recognize that when I go to uh, Paleo FX or, or the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, the room full of 3,000 doctors, I'm giving a keynote, and they all know about ketosis. They're, these are like the leaders in functional medicine. And I say, how many of you have been in ketosis? And like every hand goes up. How many of you are in ketosis now? And like 15% of the audience. And that was one of the higher scores. Same thing at PaleoFX. Because really, it's too much work to be in ketosis most of the time. And, and so what do we do? Well, what if you just have 0.5 on a blood stick for ketosis, which is not technically in ketosis. You're supposed to be at 0.8. Well, the research in Headstrong shows that the hormones around hunger and cravings, that 0.5 is the magic number where you get more of the fullness hormone called CCK and you get rid of the hunger hormone called ghrelin. So all of a sudden you're like, all right, I'm in control of myself. My mitochondria are chill. They, they know they're getting enough fuel because they have this backup source of ketones as well as any carbs that might be made out of protein in my diet. I'm not eating cupcakes. I'm not on a high carb diet, but I'm not on a 15 gram of zero carb extreme diet where you know I have to pick the lettuce off my beef patty because it might have too many carbs. I, I've been there. I've lived that for a long time. It's just really hard to do, even for a highly motivated person like me. Yeah, no, there's a lot of people actually who were full force on it in the industry and eventually said, you know what, it's just too tough after the long run. In the long run, you just got to switch it up. We also have a, a move now to use these these ketone salts, which are a way to get the ketones in. Yep. They're very expensive. People, I've heard people swear by them. What do you think? Well, I've, I mean, I, I synthesized ketone esters, which are even more sexy, about three and a half years ago at, at Bulletproof. They're twenty dollars to $30,000 a kilo, so that wasn't a viable product, but I got to use them. And I've looked at the salts. Every salt I've been able to test, every manufacturer globally has a scary levels of acetone or formaldehyde or both. And I have been unable to find a clean source. That's why there's no bulletproof ketone salt. So given that they're very expensive and that they come with a payload of, uh, I just call them organic solvent byproducts that I wouldn't want to put in my body, I, I don't see the rationale. We've got a study from uh, UC San Diego showing a 4X increase in ketones from brain octane, but not from coconut oil and not from generic MCT oil. Like they're different products. MCT oil will give you double the ketones, but MCT oil generally makes you poop on yourself, which is a bit of a problem. We, we call that disaster pants. And we got rid of disaster pants. Like that's why the that's, when a, that's a back hack. That's when it like yeah. totally backfires on you. Yeah. Totally. And like the literally the, the recipe for bulletproof coffee. I mean, it, it's a, a, a carefully defined thing. It's brain octane because you get twice as many ketones as you do from MCT in half, or, or in it takes half as many calories to get the ketones, or it's twice as many ketones without filling your pants. And like that's a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I'll pay for anything that's not going to make my pants. Um, I want to get actually speaking of uh, um, TMI conversations. I want to get into the salacious tip for men on ejaculation you throw out in the book that I was like, what's happening here? Uh, well, uh, it, it turns out that it is a, an energetically intense thing to make, uh, geez, we're going to have to just use some, throw out some, some words here. I'll, I'll be more medical. 
to, 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 <laughs> to make ejaculate. <laughs> uh, so sperm is a scientific word. Right, know? right. I, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, load is also a word, but it's one I would never use. So <laughs> uh, what, what we're going to say there is that it takes a lot of energy to make the prostaglandins and to, to go through this reproductive act. And it makes sense from a, a biological perspective. Uh, we are fundamentally driven to reproduce. Like it's one of our three core motivators there. Uh, and when mitochondria uh, in, uh, in semen are, are created, you know, they're, they're sent, they're little rocket ship things. And if you do things that encourage mitochondrial health and mitochondrial performance in your brain, it automatically translates to increases in fertility. But if you, we'll say, waste that energy uh, super frequently, uh, you'll find that, that I believe it's probably through mitochondrial signaling, you tend to have less energy. So for men, ejaculating less but having sex more uh, tends to give you a lot more of that headstrong energy that we're talking about. And I, I did. Okay, wait, though, I have, to, I have to interrupt and be like, having sex more but ejaculating less. So are you saying having sex but not coming then to full? Okay, just that <laughs> I was waiting for you to say it. <laughs> um, whatever, it's happening. Mark it as explicit. No, kidding. Um, so, all right. So are you talking about some sting tantric, yeah. you know, action where you've got to get into the right head frame for that? Because that's like a, uh, that's a, that would be... In my opinion, a seemingly challenging endeavor. <laughs> it's a to zen to zen to that moment. It is a challenging endeavor, and I it, I tracked and 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 monitored the the tantric equations for how often you should ejaculate for a whole year. Uh, just being a biohacker, I'm like, this is interesting. And the tantric, I'd love to see that notebook. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> I, I gave a talk. Like, it, it's on the website. Uh, it, it's kind of the most embarrassing talk I ever gave. I'm like, here's my attempt to not ejaculate for 30 days, and on day 24, you're like, oops. <laughs> How do you present that data without like telling a story that it's like, well, I couldn't really hold back that time. But the, those those things, when you fast, your your body is telling you, if you don't eat, you're going to die. The species will end if you die. And so for someone to do the first time that you just do an intermittent fast, it's really scary and it's really stressful. And I can tell you as a male, when you're about to ejaculate, there's a very strong message in your head that says, if you don't ejaculate now, the species will die. I get it. I get the primal. I get the other side of it as a woman. There's, there's really ingrained primal instincts to do that, whether you decide to have children or not, they're there. Exactly. And, and that they're there for a reason, because that's what these little mitochondria want us to do. Um, if we were rational beings, we probably wouldn't really have sex the way we do, especially sex when we really ought not to be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm imagining? I'm imagining like, a, you know, a couple of months from now, you know, everyone's got your book and there's like a sex addicts anonymous meeting and someone just comes in for the first time and like says, you know, hey, I'm Jane, I'm a sex addict and just throws your book down, and blames <laughs> your book, just blames your book on all of it. Like, I've had so much sex. My mitochondria is out of control. No, I think that that's really interesting. I mean, that is a that is a lofty. That's a pretty big endeavor. It's something that I think would be curious. I don't know. Is that the same? Is, is that something women also you would suggest? No, it turns out that. The tantric studies on women are very different, uh, and the and so now we're going from you know mitochondrial biochemistry to how do you make more energy in your head? And some of this is mitochondrial, and some of this is probably mitochondrial. But I can tell you there aren't that many studies on mitochondrial function in your head pre and post ejaculation. I can tell you though, there's a reason guys fall asleep right after they ejaculate. Like what just happened energetically? Like like why why do you do that? It's because you're building energy back up. 
you, you basically like, you know, burned a lot of electrons. That's so fascinating. I'm going to switch to a very uh, sweet and lovely PG. Uh, but, story. Um, you, you oh, no, go ahead. You can't switch until I make it really clear for women. If you try this, you will become depressed. You'll become less, your EQ, your emotional intelligence measures will fall. Like women need to have lots of orgasms because orgasms for women don't cost them biologically the way men do. And that's why this whole thing works out. So that's if, awesome. if you're, if you're a guy, you're like, oh, geez, Dave, you know, you're, you're killing me, man. But here's the deal. If you can find a way to occasionally have sex without ejaculating, I guarantee you that you'll have more sex. Right. So the quantity of sex that you have will go up. The net quantity of pleasure you have will go up. And the woman in your life or your partner, whoever they may be, will also be similarly happy because they'll get more sex, too. So it's not I'm not asking you to become a monk. I'm just saying that if occasionally look jerk off less and, you know, if you can if you can figure out how to do what I'm talking about there, that this is kind of a small part of the book. I believe that that there's actually a mitochondrial benefit to it. And certainly there's a, a large body of anecdotal evidence that says that if it doesn't make you live longer, at least it gives you a lot more energy and focus. And if you look at the comment thread for people who have tried it on the, the post on it on the Bulletproof website, there's people who've gotten raises, lost weight, started companies. Like that energy goes somewhere and it can go into your head or it can, you know, go somewhere else. I love it. That's great. Um, such, so interesting. There's, and again, like I said, it's just, there's small, there's, this book is loaded and there's so many great little things in here. I mean, I'll try to get to as many as I can, but I do, I would love it because I just think it's really sweet as well. Um, I love the fat brain, smart brain and the grass fed butter story with, uh, your child. Can you, can you tell everyone that story? Cause it's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, I think you're talking about where, uh, where my kids are, are little and they would, uh, they'd come into the kitchen and, and say, I, you know, can I have a bite of butter? And and literally, because kids will smear food all over their face when they're little, I, I, actually, I have a pet theory that children absorb half their calories through their skin until they turn three, because why else would they smear everything all over the place? But anyway, uh, so my kids would come into the kitchen when I'm getting the, the, the butter out, and I would literally cut off little pieces of butter and pretty soon they're like, can I have a, a bite of butter in my mouth, please? Because if I stick the butter right in their mouth like a little Pez dispenser, it doesn't get all over their face. So literally my kids have their brains made out of fat because they've been on high undamaged fat diets since they were little kids. And it's led to you know, greater bone density and just a, a level of, of thriving that, that's pretty amazing to see. And then them actually asking for it and continually then wanting and needing and feeling the results of having that fat because they're requesting it constantly, which is great. They're not, you know, requesting uh, candy. People are sometimes like shocked when they come to the house. And, and look, we just treat butter like you would treat cheese. The cheese has some anti-nutrients in it, it has all the casein in it. And some people tolerate some kinds of cheese from some animals, and there's A1 and A2 casein and all this. But here's here's the deal. My kids don't look at butter as something that's shameful or to be limited. They would look at sugar. Like, is this too much sugar? And butter and egg yolks and what we call candy, which is actually grass-fed animal fat. So, you know, we had rack of lamb last night. Like, oh, look at the candy on that. That's going to be so good. <laughs> so. What, what a great turn of perception, you know, to teach them. That's so awesome. I want to get into, there's so many different, yeah, yeah, everything from like, um, you know, the first, the first half of the book is really a lot of, you know, principles and getting into the, the science and it's all the way through. And then the second half, uh, is really, what do you do? How do you do it? You know, and the, and your two week program, you even have some, you know, recipes and things like that in there. And also, 
you have a link on your website, I know, to meditation. Let's talk about meditation for a minute and the value there, because obviously that's pushed all the time, but people still hear it and they go, yeah, yeah, I know. You know what I mean? And and you see, and we'll put the link in the show notes, but you have a meditation by a Dr. Barry, not probably going to butcher his last name, Morgulan. Uh, Morgulan. Um, Morgulan. Um, so yeah, tell us about meditation and the effects on mitochondria and just your brain and being headstrong. Your mitochondria are listening to the world around you all the time. And one of the variables that they're listening to is the level of stress hormones present in your system. And also they are sensitive to electromagnetic frequencies. So your heart is the largest source of a magnetic field in the body. When you are tweaking, uh, when you're stressed or when you're in a state of anxiety, even a subtle state of anxiety, your mitochondria pick that up. And when they, they pick that up, it changes them. So what you can do when you meditate is you can change the stress signal that comes from you so that the mitochondria feel like there's no stress. So therefore they change their energy posture. Meditation is a way to do that. And we don't really know uh, in, in detail exactly the, the fidelity with which your mitochondria are picking up information. Like does one mitochondria of the quadrillion pick up something or is it part of a broader network? Like, like there's, there's many questions around this kind of communication that I, I can't say I have all the answers, but we can see the effects. So we know something is going on in there. And when you meditate, it, it absolutely can give you more stable blood sugar. And by lowering that anxiety, it, it frees up uh, uh, energy production capacity from your mitochondria so that you can use that for cognitive processing, for exercise, or for system repair and recovery instead of for being ready to run away from something that isn't there. So meditation at its core frees that up. And what I, I did for Headstrong is I, I found a, a, a total badass uh, who you've never heard of probably. Uh, Barry Morgulon is a, a guy who regularly does uh, energy work for uh, Tony Robbins uh, before Tony goes on stage. Uh, he does work on me, uh, on Jay Abraham and like presidents of countries. He's one of 12 living grandmasters of an ancient Chinese medicine lineage uh, called New Life Energy. And these are the people whose job it was to protect and support the emperor. And these are the people who are predecessors of the Shaolin uh, type of martial arts. And Barry's from Tennessee. He's a UCLA uh, leading GI endoscopy surgeon. He's traveled around the world to teach doctors how to be Western doctors with lab coats and scalpels. So he's not you know, not a, a ponytailed woo-woo meditation instructor by a long shot. He's a, a you know, 25-year successful medical guy with tens of thousands of patients. He's also excessively curious. And when he started teaching in China, he learned Chinese herbalism and said, no, I want to learn the guys who heal with two fingers. And eventually, like they, after you know, five years of learning to trust him, he started taking a train and then hiking 5,000 feet up the mountains and remote parts of China and sitting on glaciers and melting holes in the glaciers, like the whole nine yards. They need to make a movie about this guy's life. Anyway, Barry has helped me with, with my own, uh, just, just getting that visceral energy up and running and just being in the zone all the time. And... I asked him to write a meditation for the book that would specifically help people focus on uh, on their own uh, on their own mitochondrial performance. When you get that sense of like buzzing, glowing energy in a good meditation, there is a mitochondrial component to that. You can make them happy. You can make them feel like their petri dish. Your body is a place for them to thrive, and they will make more light. They will make more energy. 
and the people who have that high amount of chi, what do you think is making the chi? It's mitochondria that makes chi. So when you tune that engine, when you make it high performance, and then you tell it you're in a calm place, it frees up that energy. So Barry's meditation's in the book, and there's actually a downloadable version of it that, uh, that'll come out when the book comes out. People can go to orderheadstrong.com right now and get a, a $25 coupon on the Bulletproof site, uh, at least before April 4th, that works. And, uh, and of course, you'll get the mitochondrial meditations and all of that. And uh, Barry has some other things you can download. And I use, I use his stuff, and I was kind of honored that you know, one of 12 living grandmasters and someone who's, a, a, quote, a real doctor would be willing to uh, to spend some time writing a custom meditation, but it, it does work. Well, and I do like also a, a guided meditation, preferably for me. I think some people don't know where to start because they're just with themselves and their own thoughts and they think they have to, you know, and they just don't understand it. And sometimes I think the relaxation factor alone of guided meditations, but that can really cue into people to like what they like and how there's so many varieties of guided meditations for specific ailments or things you want to even intend in life. And so um, aside from yours, you know, I challenge everyone who's just anti-meditation or, you know, really hasn't gotten into it to try a guided one because those are just, to me, that's what works for me, you know, versus just doing it solo. And I'm not saying there's not benefits to all of it, uh, but I love that you're offering that. Um, let's talk about the two, the, so two weeks, I mean, two weeks really. So what if I'm coming from a crazy sugar burning, uh, program? <laughs> Can I jump into the headstrong or I mean, or will I be suffering? If you're a crazy sugar burner and you do bulletproof coffee made with, without the mold, because moldy coffee contains mitochondrial inhibiting toxins that will cause sugar cravings later in the day, hours after you drink the coffee, when they hit. So you got to get the clean coffee. And if you do brain octane as part of this, yes. The first day you use brain octane, you will raise your ketone levels. If you use enough of it and you have a normal metabolism, you'll raise your ketone levels up enough to turn off the sugar cravings. Uh, one of the, the most profound stories that, that stands out is I had a, a client who was an investment banker in London. And she was overweight. She had uh, severe sugar cravings to the point that her house had zero food of any sort in the house. Her deal was if I, I snack so much, I can't stop eating. So I just have to go downstairs, walk across the street to the grocery store and buy something and then eat it versus store it in my house. Bear fridge kind of person. So lots of willpower and lots of, lots of sugar cravings. So I made her bulletproof coffee with the brain octane oil that raises ketones. And she calls me four hours later and, and she's like, I, it's lunchtime. I just went through all morning in the office and I didn't eat any candy. And it turns out like a lot of overweight people, like I was when I weighed 300 pounds, she had a map in her head of all of the conference rooms that had a bowl of candy and all of the desk drawers, like who had what kind of candy hidden where. And like, I, I don't want to be uh, stereotypical here, but the, the overweight people like me were the ones who always had a little stash of sugar because we aren't very good at managing our electrons. Uh, so I was one of those people and I knew all the other people in the office where I worked. So she was like, I didn't even have a desire to do that. There was no suppression. Of, there's no use of willpower. I just realized at noon that I was, I didn't do it. That's why I know you can do this in 12 days. Uh, and, and the studies show it doesn't take long for exercise. And the kind of exercise here is not the intense, you know, kick your ass every day. If you do that every day for, for two weeks, you're going to be really tired and sore and probably quit. Uh, I'm talking a 20-minute walk. There's one body of, of research that shows just that, or I use whole body vibration. I, I manufacture the Bulletproof Vibe uh, to do that. But you can also go for a walk, which has its own benefits of being outside and having 
uh, sunlight in your eyes and things like that. Walks are preferable, but right now it's raining and I'm in Canada, so no, I'm not going for a walk. Uh, the, so that's part of it. And then once a week, do some sprints or some high-intensity uh, lifting for 10 or 15 minutes. That's all it takes in order to trigger your mitochondria. Can you see changes in two weeks if you just go for a walk every day, get natural sunlight in your eyes, which is a mitochondrial stimulant, as well as on your skin without sunscreen, without sunglasses? Uh, and uh, yeah, you actually will feel a difference. It, it'll completely change your brain. And when you start getting enough energy in the brain, it'll start its repairs, repair processes that probably haven't been running for a while because you were only burning sugar. And the clarity that comes from fasting that normally takes uh, probably three days for the average person to get over the intense hunger, you can get that kind of clarity by just having some ketones. And you don't have to be at a blood level of three, you know, more ketones, better. It, it doesn't work like that. 0.5 is enough for most people to benefit greatly. If you have cancer or something, go on a zero sugar diet and, you know, crank yourself up as high as you can go. But for people to have cognitive function and to avoid all these age-related neurodegenerative things that are just plaguing us, these are small environmental tweaks. They're changes to things you already do, but they can have a profound impact on how you feel. What are some other, before we close out, there's so many tips in this book. It's really so great. It's actually like one of those great books you have to reread a couple times. You need to keep referring to it, which I like, because then it kind of becomes a nice uh, health manual <laughs> to have around. Um, but aside from, yeah, I mean, obviously we've impressed upon, you know, omega-3s, fish oil, what are some basics? If you could just be like, all right, look, people, if you're going to do a few things to just at least, you know, if you're not going to go full force, you're going to do a few things in your life. What are those things to, to do nutritionally? One of the things that came out of this, this research is that polyphenols are even more important than we thought. And, and for people listening to the show, they probably have heard of polyphenols. And we think of them as antioxidants from, from vegetables and some fruits. Yes, they're antioxidants, but they're actually a lot more than that. They're, they're light-based signaling molecules uh, that, your, uh, that your cells and specifically your mitochondria use, and they're building blocks for some of the energy production systems in the body. So if you're eating something like uh, you know, the, a primal diet, a paleo diet, or bulletproof, there's a, a big focus on vegetables. So you're going to be having a plate full of vegetables. And honestly, even if you're a vegan, unless you're like doing all those like legumes and grains and that sort of like, I'm going to die quickly vegan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. I was a raw vegan for a while. Like I say that with respect and with, with like, I, I'm like, please pay attention if you're a vegan. Like I, <laughs> there's science here. Please look at the science. Yeah. Look at the science, please. Yeah. Uh, and also just try something else for six weeks and see how, see if you want to go back to being a vegan. If you've been one for a while, like there's a difference anyway. I don't want to pick on vegans because it's not fair. They're, uh, all the vegans I know are, are doing it for the right reason. Uh, they want the right reason, but they aren't necessarily getting the results they're looking for. So, so when, you're, when you're on any of these vegetable-centric, not starch-centric diets, uh, you're getting probably a gram of polyphenols, which is pretty good. That's more than most people get. And if you're using coffee, probably half of your polyphenols came from coffee. So the number one source of polyphenols and the number one source of antioxidants in the American diet is coffee. The thing is, the, according to the research I've done here and according to some conversations with Barry Sears from The Zone Diet, who's a really brilliant physician who was on uh, Bulletproof Radio, there's actually a case for more like two grams of polyphenols. It's not feasible to get two grams of polyphenols from your diet. And the, the recommendations that I have to help you get there are uh, and since this research, I've started doing 
three cups of bulletproof decaf. I, I don't put the butter in brain octane and I, I use brain octane in every meal, uh, but I just add more black decaf coffee. Warning, decaf coffee usually has solvents in it and Swiss water processed coffee is usually low quality, higher mold beans. Even in countries with legal regulations, uh, decaf coffee is allowed to have twice as much mold as regular coffee. So I, I'm excessively careful about that with decaf. So adding in some decaf or the other high polyphenol foods. Uh, tea is a good choice and you get a mix of polyphenols because different ones do different things. Uh, green tea is better than black tea. So having some some green tea is a great idea. Uh, Pu'er tea has slightly more than regular green tea. Matcha, where you drink the whole the whole leaf from the tea, is a good choice, and uh, that'll help. Uh, eating uh, the the more brightly colored veggies is a really good idea. So you're just choosing those, and then don't go light on the spices and herbs. Go heavy. So things like vanilla is very, very high in polyphenols. In fact, it's higher than coffee. You just would never eat as much as you do in coffee. So like, I, it's one of the reasons that that was the first uh, uh, spice or, or whatever you want to call vanilla uh, that I came out with at Bulletproof is because you want to get these things called vanilloids and some of the things called melanoids and all these little chemicals, it turns out, have a biological effect. So put a crap load of oregano on your steak when you're going to eat it. Don't go light on the fennel seeds, and you can probably increase the number of polyphenols you get by, you know, 500 milligrams just by eating your food with lots of herbs on it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the oregano. I just want to jump in there and say that is just, I mean, that is one of the most, I take a bottle of oregano wherever I go. If I'm going outside of the States, especially if it's a second D third world country, and I have really been protected where people around me have gone horrifically sick. And I believe it's because I, you know, did some dosing with oregano oil. And honestly, that can be such a great thing to do extra of around the time when people are getting flus and colds yes, um, and sinus infections, especially. I mean, I had a friend who used to work for Pfizer, uh, found oregano oil, never had to take another med for her sinus infections again. And she's like, I can't even tell the people I work for that, <laughs> that this happened because I'm using, you know, oregano over here and I work for a pharmaceutical company. Um, but I, I am just so, uh, the, the effects of oregano oil, especially even in killing some candida. So I'm just glad you brought up oregano. That's just a great herb to OD, OD on. It, it is. You can take the oil and you can just crust your steak in oregano. And we've all seen pepper crusted steak. When you do it with the right kind of oregano, it is a phenomenal herb. And any of them, rosemary has its own set of antioxidants. So just becoming a lot more comfortable with a, a really strongly flavored dish, it, it's actually going to increase probably double the amount of polyphenols you have. And I supplement with polyphenols. Uh, I'm just using supplements because kind of like oregano oil, but there's a bunch of other ones uh, because the evidence is so strong that if you do that, your cellular activity will be better. Your risk of almost every disease goes down. And you just can't eat enough vegetables to get an optimal amount of polyphenols. Like, like, even if you blend them all into a smoothie, you just can't chug that much smoothie to get the amount you want. And that's why we fought wars over coffee <laughs> and over tea. Like the original <laughs> tea trade routes, there were salt trade routes first because salt is more important than polyphenols. If you're low on salt, you're going to hate your life. Uh, and then after that, it was tea and spices. Like the, <laughs> these are these are the the core. Core These were like their original like WMDs of like war. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Before we had machine guns, we we sold vanilla. <laughs> That's really awesome. Um, there's you asked has some great recipes in here too. What's a good you know just to close it out? What would be a good you know especially when people are doing some lower carb paradigms 
and you're looking for a good fat snack, sometimes, you know, it gets old to just do a sip of oil or some coconut butter. Um, I'm sure though with your kids, you've, you know, and in the book, you have a couple of great ideas. What's a good quick kind of like whip it up, uh, you know, kind of favorite that you would go to, to kind of just, you know, do a brain blast up in the midday between meals kind of thing. Well, uh, one of the, the things I do with the kids is I'll just give them dark chocolate uh, without sugar in it, and they uh, they love this stuff. But if you're going to make something in a recipe, one of the easiest things, and, and people on, on keto or, or paleo are familiar with these, you can do the, these custards, uh, these things where they keep for a while in the fridge, they have a ton of raw egg yolk in them, they have uh, coconut oil, or I like to use butter more so than coconut oil. And uh, because I'm getting brain octane to get the ketones higher than the coconut oil, uh, a little coconut oil is good. Too much coconut oil, it, it tends to not be as good. And then uh, in terms of sweeteners, if you don't have SIBO, the sugar alcohols work really well. If not, you can use something like stevia or monk fruit and uh, you put them in there. And then for, for this book, adding vanilla or adding blueberries, which... There's a little bit of sugar in blueberries, but there's a lot of really special polyphenols called proanthocyanidins that are shown to raise a compound called brain-derived nootropic factor or BDNF. So with my kids, yeah, sure, we'll throw some dried blueberries in there or some fresh blueberries, and they get this kind of creamy, delicious thing that if you wanted to could be turned into ice cream, and there's certainly a recipe for that. I really like that this book's major theme, even though it involves like diet and some supplements and some obvious ways that diet and lifestyle are absolutely key. A lot of people who aren't going to want to be shape models or, you know, don't, you know, they want to be active, but they don't really care about, you know, ultimate fitness and all of that. I love the attention on the headstrong because what people, what this does for your brain, for your clarity, for the productivity in your life, also the ability to retain information. And I also feel at a very high, fast rate as well, like my reading comprehension and everything when I'm in either state of ketosis or just, you know, high fat model, it's amazing. And it's like, if people, you know, they would benefit health wise, but you know what I mean? But let's talk about people's brains. You know, you're out there and you're an entrepreneur and you're, you're running a company. You need to be on it constantly and you're going to get tapped out. If you're type Aing it and you're not doing headstrong and bulletproof, you know, you're, you're you're gonna you're gonna lose at some point. So I love that you you brought that attention. What 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 would you like to impress upon our audience about this book? I think it's a really important work. I hope everyone gets it. Just keep in mind that your muscle has a thousand mitochondria per cell on average, and your brain has fifteen thousand. So it's no wonder that your brain is going to get in shape before your muscles do. Nice, I love it. Uh, that is so great. We will put all of this, uh, your links to your website and the book in our show notes. And any other thoughts you'd like to leave with us today? I would invite people to head on over to orderheadstrong.com so they can get the new book and they can also get the downloadable uh, audio for the meditation and all of the other bonuses, including the coupon for Bulletproof when they pre-order the book. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if you guys haven't tried any of Dave's products, I I'm not being told or paid to advertise here, but I do regularly use your products, including your collagen powder. Um, love the the octane oil. And so, and I actually uh, haven't even tried a couple of the other ones that were sent to me before, but um, I regularly buy that even on my own. The collagen powder is just really just an amazing addition. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm honored you came on. And um, I think everyone is going to be really excited about this book. No doubt it's going to be a bestseller immediately. Oh, thanks for having me on. I sure hope it'll be a bestseller. There's a ton of info. It's here to help people. This is what gave me my brain back so I could 
you know, be bulletproof and, and do what I do. Uh, so to be able to share it is, is uh, something I'm, I'm grateful for. Thanks so much. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.